the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's an honor. Today is Wednesday, April the 6th, 2022, in the year of our Lord. Today, on April 6th, 1896, the first modern Olympic Games formally opened in Athens, Greece. Today, in 1862, the Civil War Battle of Shiloh began in Tennessee. Confederate forces launched a surprise attack against the Union troops. They beat back the Confederates the next day, but it became a pretty famous battle. Today, in 1864, Louisiana opened a convention in New Orleans to draft a new state constitution. One, they said, that called for the abolition of slavery. Today, in 1909, American explorers Robert Perry and Matthew Henson and four Inuits, formerly known as Eskimos, I think. Anyway, they became the first men to reach the North Pole. Today, in 1917, the United States entered World War I. Today, in 1945, during World War II, the Japanese warship Yamada and nine other vessels sailed on a suicide mission to attack the U.S. fleet off Okinawa. The fleet was intercepted the next day. That was not a good day for this suicide mission. Today, in 2008... Democrat presidential candidate Barack Obama, he was speaking at a private fundraiser in San Francisco. He did not know that someone was recording his speech, but he spoke openly from his heart. He talked about the voters in Pennsylvania's Rust Belt and other Midwest communities who cling to their guns and their religion. Yeah, Hillary Clinton got a hold of that. She, too, was running for president at the time. She said he's an elitist. Well, he is. And speaking of elitism, yesterday was a, a really a heart-rending, or a heart-rending um, experience, at least for me. I think if you listen to this program, you know I, I am not a great supporter of Joe Biden. Uh, I... I respect, and I think we should all respect, the office of the presidency. I believe God would have us do that, and I believe as citizens of America we should do that. But I have never in my lifetime seen or read in history, long before my lifetime, of anything quite like what we're seeing today. And I think most of you would agree with me. But yesterday, Joe Biden was mocked. And shunned and kind of people kind of moved away from him at a gathering at the White House. He invited Barack Obama back to the White House. First time Barack Obama had been at the, in the White House uh, since he left, five years. So Obama gave this speech. It was a speech about health care. It was a speech about himself. He mentioned himself, his name, 33, me, my, so on. He mentioned himself 33 times in a short speech. 
And uh, when he was done, he was doing what he does. He was kind of shucking and jiving and, you know, and warming up the crowd. And they were enjoying it, of course. But when he was done, people gathered around him, of course. They hadn't seen him for maybe some of them hadn't seen him for five years. I don't know. But anyway, they were Nancy Pelosi and all these people were around there and others in Congress that had been invited to this special occasion were there. And there was a video taken um, of Joe Biden, the president of the United States, standing all alone. And he was looking around. I, I can't describe it. If I if this were television, I'd run a clip of it. But um, he was looking around like he was a little unsure if he was even should be there. And he was looking for someone to talk to. And he couldn't find anybody. He appeared to wander around looking for someone or for something to do. This video shows Biden staring out from kind of from afar at the crowd surrounding Obama. And he turns away, kind of has a sour, kind of confused, but kind of a little bit angry look on his face. And he kind of dodders or shuffles off alone. And he's just standing over there in the room alone. And he's looking, I mean, as a person who is in pretty steep cognitive decline. And there was a, my heart went out to him. I got to be honest with you. I, I watched that video and I know they're going to use that. They're going to make, make fun of him. I mean, they'll, it, it, it's, it's made for a, you know, probably a Republican commercial at some point it'll show up. But there was a part of me that I it felt, I felt so sad if, if, if it wasn't for what he's doing to this country, you know, but I, I mean, he's got to go. We can't go on like this. But as a human being, uh, my heart went out to the guy. I mean, here he is, his whole life, he's tried to, he's he's done deals, he's done whatever he had to do, illegally in some cases, I believe, from what I've read. But he's done what he had to do because his whole life is wrapped up in the dream of becoming president of the United States. Not that there's anything wrong with having a dream. We should all dream dreams and have goals. And I mean, that's biblical and it's certainly healthy. But man, now he's there. And nobody even wanted to talk to him in this meeting. I understand they hadn't seen Obama for a long time. I understand the dynamics of it. But I'm telling you, if you saw the video, maybe some of you did. It was pathetic. I can see that, as I said, showing up in commercials. Literally no one wanted to talk to Joe Biden. They didn't even want to stand by him to be seen on a video somewhere. He tries to get Obama's attention in one part of it. I mean, it's not like stage. It's just this camera is just running. He walks over there and he sort of, uh, he doesn't push Kamala Harris, Vice President Harris, out of the way, but he kind of crowds past her and he puts his hand on Obama's shoulder and he tries to kind of turn Obama around so they can kind of be buddies and, and they can appear to be more the center of the attention there. And Obama doesn't even look at him. And Biden says something. You can't hear what he says, but you can see his mouth moving. He's talking to, he says something to Obama and Obama just ignores him. It's pathetic. And it shows the elitism of Barack Obama. He is full of himself there. If you ever doubted that. Uh, if you watch that video, he is 
he is all about Barack. There's no question about that. Boy, we live in challenging times. We live in um, unusual times, perilous times, the Bible calls it. And they are indeed. Overall, if we know what the Bible says about the end of time or the time of the end, we know that these things are conditioning us. They are shaping up to take this world where God says it will go. But the end of that is a glorious message. It has to do with eternal life. It has to do with Jesus Christ's return. It has to do with our blessed hope. It's all there. But going through these times can get difficult sometimes. I think it was for times like these that the psalmist wrote Psalm 27 and a whole lot of other verses in the Bible. But let me share a couple with you from Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? Another verse from 27. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And now mine head shall be lifted up above my enemies around about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Another verse from chapter 27. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path, because my enemies deliver me not over the will of mine enemies. For false witnesses have risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelties. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And finally, verse 14, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. The reason we're told to wait on the Lord so often in the scripture is because God has a plan and he's never late and he's never early. He's right on schedule because God is in control of all of the events that are happening because God allows or does not allow all things. He he is either the God of the Bible who spoke into existence the entire universe or he is not. I believe with all my heart. He is, and therefore he is in control of all things, all the time. And sometimes we don't understand. And that's when it's even more important that we turn our eyes and our heart upon him and his word, even when we don't understand everything that's going on around us. Why do evil people, why, do, why are they able to get control of a government? Why are they able to ruin a country? Why are they able to kill babies that are unwanted? I don't know. But God allows and God doesn't allow, but he is in control. Senator Patty Murray sent out a tweet uh, yesterday, or Monday actually. She said abortion bans like we're seeing in Idaho and Texas and elsewhere are dangerous. They're cruel. They hurt patients. I thought, Patty, are you aware of what it does to a baby? It's well established that an unborn baby that's jerked out of its mother's womb and killed feels pain. 
Not a thought on the left. She said, that's why I'm fighting, to protect the right to abortion at the federal level. That was the most important thing that woman wanted to say on Monday. Abortion bans like we're seeing in Idaho, Texas, and elsewhere are dangerous. And that's why I'm fighting to protect the right to abortion at federal level. That's what she did on Monday and probably every day of her life. Fights for abortion. Because if they don't have abortion, it's cruel and it's hurtful to those who want the abortion with no thought for the child. That's pretty pathetic. Boy, she would have had a really bad day if she'd have been in Oklahoma. The Republican-led Oklahoma State House passed a near-total ban on abortion this week, except in cases where the pregnant person's life is endangered. The bill includes if anyone who performs an abortion would face uh, that is you know brought before the courts will face up to 10 years in prison and up to $100,000 in fines the bill was first passed by the Oklahoma Senate last year but it was it brought Tuesday yesterday uh, by Republican lawmakers back to the house and it's approved and it's headed to the Republican governor this Kevin Stitt who was committed to Signing any anti-abortion legislation that comes across his desk, he said, I want to be and I believe I am the most pro-life governor in the United States. And there's more. (laughs) Patty can be thankful she lives and nests herself in Seattle, which it is Seattle that elects her, as you know, and not Oklahoma. In Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping down the plain and the waving wheat can sure smell sweet when the wind comes right behind the rain. She wouldn't do well there in that state. The state Senate has already passed the so-called Oklahoma Heartbeat Act, which is a near-duplicate law of a Texas ban allowing any private individual to sue doctors who perform abortions after fetal cardiac activity, heartbeat can be detected. Typically, that's around six six weeks in, in term. Maybe we should get a law that we can sue our elected public servants if they advocate abortion because it's murder. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Roe v. Wade is going to come up. I think it'll come up in the near future. And we'll see. I pray that it does because I don't see how the, the Supreme Court, as it is presently, constructed, even with this new nominee, Miss Jackson, she probably will, unless God intervenes, and certainly God can intervene, she'll probably be confirmed to the court. I mean, she has the the votes, especially with these three coming out now, uh, Romney, Collins, and uh, Murkowski from three Republicans. The Catholic, the people at Catholic vote, by the way, I read what they write a lot. They're very active and pretty accurate, really. But anyway, it's called Catholic Vote, and it's you know an organization that's set up to get Catholics to be sure they vote, and they vote conservatively. And um, they've been speculating uh, there. Some of the guys that write articles for Catholic Vote, they've been speculating that Mitt Romney's endorsement of Judge Jackson, which he did, uh, is and he's voting for her, uh, is kind of a sign they think 
that he's not going to seek re-election in Utah because they don't think Utah can stomach what he's just done. I certainly can't, but I'm not Utah. But they're saying that they think that's a sign that he's not going to run for re-election in one of the most conservative states in America. I pray they're right, but, you know, there's Mike Lee and others from, from Utah that better represents conservatism. And I've, I've often wondered, and I've said it on this program, how does Mitt Romney, I mean, how does that square up with his Mormon church? I don't know. The, the Mormons I know aren't pro-abortion. He is. He is very much so because he always, I mean, he'll tell you he's not, but he always votes in ways that either allow or actually enhance and, and, and advance abortion. And he did the same thing with gay rights when he was governor of Massachusetts. I mean, it was what he did, but it was also what he refused to do that opened the floodgate on this whole craziness about marriage can be between two men or whatever. It can't be because God created marriage. Massachusetts didn't. Neither did Washington State or anyone else. God instituted marriage, and marriage, they, you can call it what you want. You can call the the sky green but it's blue and you can call two guys getting together or two women getting together and say we're married now but that's not marriage it may be a lot of things but it isn't marriage marriage is something that God himself instituted and it's a male and a female and they kind of come together and they have kids and they live together their whole life and I mean that's God's plan and sometimes that breaks down but it doesn't mean the plan changes Anyway, I didn't mean to get off into all that today, but anyway, that's, that's, other than that, I have no opinion. Anyway, President Biden's nominee for the Supreme Court of the United States is revealing. I wanted to talk about some of the things that, some of the revelations that are coming from this nomination of Jackson. It's a mirror image of where we are today. It's a reflection of what racism and secular progressivism looks like in America. And it's not pretty. It certainly isn't the picture that progressives promised and painted if they could just get control of the country. Well, they are currently in control of the White House, the House of Representatives, the U.S. Senate, public education, the entertainment industry, and, of course, the news media, for the most part. There are a few that are not controlled by the by the tsunami of the left, but most are. And they claim they're making progress. Joe Biden often says that. But there's a revelation in all of this. Back during the presidential primary, when candidate Joe Biden was struggling to even stay in the race, his third attempt at becoming president of the United States, and Kamala Harris was unable to stay. She couldn't even stay in the Democrat primaries until... California, her home state, had their primary. She dropped out. Nobody voted for her. Nobody. And nobody was giving her any money for her campaign. So she dropped out. Biden promised at that time, if he were to be elected president, he would nominate a black woman to the U.S. Supreme Court. And the left cheered. They said, oh, my goodness. Yes, that's wonderful. That wasn't specifically what brought him to the head of the crowd. There are other dynamics. But it was certainly one of them. And he was championed by some of the blacks in the South and, and leaders and so on. And the story is, is, is well documented. We don't have time to get into it, nor do we need to. I think most of you know. Uh, 
but he promised his first consideration would not be the most qualified for the Supreme Court. It would be the color of, their, of her skin. And the second consideration that he would have, he was promising America, would be the person's gender. Brown Jackson's judicial record is troubling, to say the least. And everybody who's looked at it, it isn't just me, everybody that's looked at it agrees. But no worry, the media has both her and the president covered on this one. Senator Ted Cruz was the first to call it out. He talked about some of the hypocrisy surrounding the nomination. The New York Times was there to run interference. Here's how it works. And this is a beautiful, again, part of this revelation of Kentasha Brown-Jackson. The Times was there to cover the moment. You can't tell, you can't say publicly, if you're known publicly, you can't say, well, the, the, the media didn't cover this. They say, yes, we did. But here's how they cover it. Again, a part of the revelation of all of this, it gives us a clear look at where we are in our country today. The Times, the New York Times, begins with this. I'm quoting them. It was a striking moment in a day full of them. On Tuesday afternoon during the confirmation hearings of Judge Kentasha Brown Jackson, Senator Ted Cruz quoted the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream of a world where children would be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I pause in quoting. That's exactly what Martin Luther King Jr. said. It's been played 10 million times on video, on television, whatever. But back to quoting the New York Times. Not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Before sharply questioning Judge Jackson about her views on critical race theory. They're talking about Ted Cruz now. I continue to quote the New York Times. He held up two books by Ibram X. Kendi that he said had been assigned or recommended at a school where she is on the board of trustees, describing their contents as the exact opposite of Dr. King's famous I Have a Dream speech. Are you comfortable, he asked, with these ideas being taught to children? Then at this point, after that quote of that question, then the New York Times pivots in this big article, and they pivot from reporting to instructing. Brown Jackson needs help at that point, because everybody in America that knows anything about anything that's going on knows that Martin Luther King said those words. So they pivot there, and they begin to instruct the public. Here's what they say. I'm quoting. Speaking of New York Times, Speaking of Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz, it was a salvo aimed squarely at today's pitched battles over critical race theory, a once obscure academic discipline that has emerged as a potent political weapon for the right. From the floor of the Senate to the report of the Trump, Trump administration 1776 commission, it has been painted as the antithesis of the colorblind America that Dr. King supposedly wanted to create. Continuing to quote the New York Times, but some scholars who turned into the hearings said they saw a familiar distortion. The rest of this lengthy story then goes on. It, it's not reporting the news, but it's indoctrinating an un, uninformed public that MLK actually meant something different than what he said and what Senator Cruz said and what others think he said. That's all distorted. 
He didn't say that. Martin Luther King, no, no, he does not want us to see people by the, on the merit of their character. No, he wants us to look at their skin color. I'm not... I wouldn't believe this if I wasn't looking at the article. As the hearing progressed, the conservative asked more questions about her actual qualifications, while the leftist progressives focused more and more on the color of her skin, claiming those who would not vote to confirm her are racist. It doesn't matter what she believes. Her skin is black. I'm telling you, that's what's happening in our country today. These three Republicans, Collins, Romney, and Murkowski, they said, hey, they're virtue signaling. They said, hey, we're not racist. We're going to vote for her. We don't care about the Republican Party. We don't care what our platform says. We're going to vote for her. We're not racist. Well, I'll tell you, when Republican Senator Tim Scott, a black man, very well-spoken, sharp as a tack, smart, 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 when he announced his informed attention to vote no on Brown Jackson's confirmation, the meltdown began, the mighty meltdown, in fact. On Monday, Senator Scott announced that he will not vote to confirm Judge Kintasha Brown Jackson to the Supreme Court. He said the historic nature of Judge Jackson's nomination reinforces the progress our country has made. However, ideology must be the determining factor, not identity. When considering such an important lifetime appointment, Scott released a statement. It's clear, he said in the statement, that Judge Jackson's judicial philosophy and positions on the defining issues of our time make her the wrong choice for the Supreme Court. From leaving the door open on court packing to her multiple overturned opinions, and she's had a lot of them, I might add, I continue to quote Scott, I cannot support a nominee with her record of judicial activism. I remain disappointed that President Biden missed the opportunity to unite with a mainstream nominee that could have received resounding bipartisan support. For all these reasons, I will be voting no on Judge Jackson's nomination to the Supreme Court. Right on cue, the meltdown began. All hell broke loose against this man because he's black and he's not voting for her. It's not about the merit. It's not about her record. It's about the color of her skin. People started uh, going to social media on Twitter. This one person named Angel said, Can you believe that Tim Scott is not voting for Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson, the first black woman to be nominated for the Supreme Court? But he voted for Amy Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh. I feel sorry for him because if you don't know that you're black, believe me, they will show you. That sounds like a threat to me, and it goes on and on and on. I don't have time to go through all of that. But it just shows that all so much of this so-called compassion and inclusiveness and tolerance and all this stuff that they've been pushing out there, all are virtuous. But it's not what they practice, the left. It is what they use to advance a very destructive agenda. And that's where we are in America. They've been trying since Joe Biden started the attack on the nomination of Clarence Thomas 30 years ago. They've been trying to destroy him ever since, and they do so as we speak. And I don't have time to get into that today. Thank you so much for being with me today. We'll continue our conversation right here tomorrow. 
But thank you for your support. I need it. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. I'll see you tomorrow. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.